0: To the RPC Sermons podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at RoswellPress.org. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome to Worship at Roswell Presbyterian Church. It is so good to see you. I want you to know that next Sunday at the 1115 service, we're going to celebrate the installation of Reverend Carrie Weatherford as the associate pastor for discipleship. This is a great and special confirmation to her continued calling here at RPC. You might remember a couple years ago we did her uh, ordination service, and now it's a time that we filled out a lot of paperwork with a lot of different folks, and now she can finally be installed on the staff here. So, this is a big deal uh, confirming her ministry among us. I also want you to know that in our weekly Closing the Distance conversation on Facebook Live, last week had a great conversation with Mary Cox. She's retired, but she doesn't have any free time, as we found out. She's staying very busy ministering here at RPC. This is still her church home, her and Bill, so we'll see them, and it's so good to hear from them. This coming Wednesday at noon, from about noon to 1230 on Facebook Live, I will be talking to... Richard Hill, a blast from the past for folks that have been at RPC for a long time. Remember his powerful and influential and important ministry here at RPC started a lot of our partnerships and mission organizations in the Roswell area. So we're going to get kind of an update on his life, hear about his ministry, and hopefully Richard will tell us some good stories as well. Well, last Sunday in our sermon series, Our Song Shall Rise, we've been kind of pairing up. Passages from the book of Revelation with our favorite hymns. We've been looking at how they might maybe inform one another. Last week we asked the question, does death have the final say in our world? Is it kind of, is death the supreme authority in our lives? And we answered that question with a resounding no. What we're going to see is in the revelation that John has, this grand vision, he goes from the resounding no about death to a resounding yes. And we're going to see what his great yes has to say for us. What is the ultimate power in the universe? So let us listen for the good news and the word of the Lord from Revelation 7, verses 13 through 17. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple, and the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments, you might be our teacher, that you might teach us about this grand mystery that revelation speaks of. Lord, might you fill our hearts with your hope and your light that it might shine into the dark parts of our lives. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You have to see it to believe it. You ever heard this? You have to see it to believe it. Well, during the pandemic, we quickly realized that we had to kind of over-communicate as a church staff. We weren't seeing each other in the office, so we had to communicate a lot, send a lot of emails, have a lot of phone calls. And one of our habits that began very early on is that I would have a phone conversation with our executive pastor, Lindsey Slocum, every morning. It was great to catch up kind of, she could give me my to-do list of all that I was to do. And usually I would try to take these calls while I was walking outside. I found it a good way to kind of work off anxiety and stress that I was feeling. Now, and I do mean this as a compliment, Lindsay, (laughs) that, you know, Lindsay is a very organized, you know, has a list of to-do items, and she likes to work through them. I'm more of a jazz man of the to-do list. It was funny, at the first service, her husband and two sons were sitting in the front row, and they go, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) So we were talking every, every morning, and about two weeks ago, I had the most amazing thing happen. Because the most amazing things happen on these phone calls. I, you're not going to believe the kinds of things I see. And you know, I'm kind of an extrovert. I've been missing human interaction. So I'll be walking along. I'll strike up a conversation with the yard guy. Ferrari flies by. Lindsay, I almost stepped on a snake. I mean, all sorts of things. But the, I saw the craziest thing two weeks ago. I'm out on Mimosa Street, out right out here. Right out here. And I'm walking, and I'm kind of engrossed in this conversation. And on the other side of the street, going in the opposite direction, a man is walking two dogs. The first dog is kind of a brownish-reddish retriever, really cute dog, really sweet. And the other dog is this white poodle. And I'm talking to her, and all of a sudden I look over, and I've never seen what I saw. This dog is standing up on its hind legs, walking vertically <laughs> like a human being. I stop and I'm like, I'm like, I'm panicking. I'm like, oh my gosh, Lindsay, there's a dog walking like a human being. She's like, what? She's just like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, Oh, I got to get a picture. Got to get a picture. And so I'm like fumbling. I can't remember my password to open up, you know, my camera. It's just, and the dog goes for like, I'm talking like 50 feet like this. And I run after him. The, The owner's scared of me. I'm like looking at this dog. And then like nothing, like nothing happened. The dog just goes down on all fours and starts walking again. I go, excuse me. Could, could you make her do that again? He goes, oh no, she's very stubborn. She only does does not when she wants to. I said, excuse me? He said, yeah, it's really weird. Sometimes I'll walk into a room and she'll just be standing in the corner. <laughs> you have to see it to believe it. Some things in life are like that. You have to see it to believe. It, it was B-A-N-A-N-A-S. I tell you what. You've got to see it to believe it. How can we possibly believe something that we haven't seen for ourselves? And when we come to this section of the book of Revelation, this is the question that's in the back of our minds. It's the question that John will talk about in the last two chapters of the Bible. Revelation 21 in 22, you have to see it to believe it, then how can we possibly believe it? Only one person has come back from the dead and he didn't stay around very long. How can we believe that heaven is real? What heaven is like? It's difficult sometimes for our imagination to to think about it, to conceive of it. Let me give you an example. I don't know if you knew this, but in 1891, the first game of basketball was played. Springfield. It was invented by Dr. James A. Naismith. Now, a lot of you may not know, Dr. Naismith was a Presbyterian minister. Now, if you would have been there on that first day, the creation of basketball, it's very different than our game is today. It was a game of nine-on-nine, no dribbling was allowed, they shot into peach baskets, and it was a very physical game. In that first game, it's reported, there were several black eyes given, a dislocated shoulder, and one player was knocked unconscious. And I just wonder if, if I had a time machine and I could go back and talk to Dr. Naismith. I said, I'm a fellow Presbyterian minister from the future. And I got to tell you what basketball is going to become. You're going to have seven footers running around. You'll have people jumping from the free throw line and dunking. You'll have this guy, Steph Curry, that's shooting from so far away at like 48% success rate. He can barely see the hoop. And Dr. Naismith would say, I I don't understand how how is this going to how can it be and then I'd have to just say you're going to have to see it to believe it and I think John the writer of Revelation is in a uh, you have to see it to believe it kind of mode he's giving this poetic vision about what the future looks like, trying to help his audience understand something that they've never seen before. As I mentioned, his audience is suffering. Persecution, great persecution in the Roman Empire. They're just a small minority of the population. Earlier in chapter 7, John writes that he hears a great multitude. He says, it's 144,000 who are sealed. Now, if you didn't know, you'd be saying, what does that mean? Well, sealed in the first couple of centuries of the church referred to Christian baptism. If you were baptized, you were sealed. 144,000, well, you know that 12 times 12 is 144. 12 is the number of apostles, and 12 is the number of tribes in Israel. And it's this great, massive number that would have been hard for his audience to even conceive of. To think of a great multitude that would make it through trial and tribulation. At the time, there was 1.6 Christians for every thousand citizens in Rome. Just a small, tiny minority that is suffering and John is writing to encourage them, to bring them hope. And remember, this isn't just for Israelites, as we saw last week. This is a a universal message. Let me remind you with these words in verse 9. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation. Really? Yes, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. And so John has this universal kind of cosmic vision of people who have followed Christ. And they have suffered, many of them, the trials and tribulations of life. And they're asking, is this all there is? Was it worth it? Can we keep going? And John writes, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. As you can see, and if you have a very active dream life, you know that dreams and visions do not concern themselves with coherence. (laughs) They mix their metaphors all the time. Their robes are made white in the blood of the Lamb? Doesn't make sense. But what he's saying here is that we can have hope confronting the trials and tribulations, the suffering, evil, the pain, the calamities, the woe of life because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. We can have hope because heaven stands in front of us. Now, whenever we're talking about suffering and calamity and, and, and woe in human, the human experience. And when we think of it in light of heaven, we can usually make two mistakes. The first is, on one end of the spectrum, we can be too Panglossian. Now, you know, I think I've shared with you, Panglossian is like my favorite English word. It means to be inappropriately optimistic. I don't know if you've ever met somebody who's inappropriately optimistic. Now you can just say, you're being very Panglossian right now. They'll have to go look it up. They won't be offended. It'll be great. But it's to be inappropriately optimistic. Don't worry. Be happy. Everything will all work out. Have you ever had somebody tell you that when you're in the midst of pain and suffering, when you're sad or grieving? It's highly irritating. (laughs) But then on the other end of the spectrum when you're wrestling with the reality of death and sickness, disease and despair, you can fall into despair. There is no hope. You might throw up your hands. And so John in Revelation has to wrestle with this duality to avoid making these two mistakes. He writes, they will hunger no more and thirst no more no more the sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of the water of life and then i love this line and god will wipe away every tear from their eyes john does this has this great ability to honor the suffering of people the tears they've shed their scars but he says God will wipe every tear away eventually. Have you ever noticed in the accounts of Jesus' resurrection that Jesus still has scars in his hands from the nail marks and in his side from the spear? It's saying, in heaven, you will bear the wounds you had, but then they will be transformed. And some of you are saying, I I'm struggling to wrap my mind around this. You have to see it <laughs> to believe it. And the book of Revelation is offering this great poetic vision of the future about finding that middle way between pangloss and despair, what one theologian calls hope on a tightrope. It can be tough to walk on a tightrope. You don't want to fall too far this way or fall that way. But you have to find your feet on steady ground, on the rope. Hope on a tightrope. And the tightrope is Jesus Christ. God came into the world. Experienced the depths of human suffering. So we have a God who identifies with our weakness, the Apostle Paul writes. But identifies with that weakness, but is not defeated by it. In the resurrection, we see even death itself defeated in God's resurrection. Hope on a tightrope. Now, the balancing act of staying on the tightrope is difficult. And probably, maybe the most, the clearest place I've seen this come out was in my final year of seminary. And they make you take this preaching class. And at the end of the preaching class, they make you write a funeral sermon. And so I was taking the class, and the professor is named Dr. Cleophas LaRue. He was this old Black Baptist preacher, and the man could preach. I encourage you to go watch him on YouTube. But he was describing the situation we might find ourselves in one day. He says, you know, at some point, people in your congregation are going to die and you're going to have to go to the family's house. And he said, people are going to be crying and weeping. He says, you can't start crying because you're in charge. you got to make things move. It's interesting The TA for the course is named Kenyatta Gilbert. He's now a professor of preaching at Howard University. And Kenyatta in our little breakout group says, I totally disagree with Dr. LaRue. At some point, you will be called to cry, and you need to grieve with those people. I thought, oh, walking on a tightrope is difficult. But if we find the tightrope of Jesus Christ, we find the ability to grieve, to suffer, to to be in the, the trenches with people, but then we also find it, the hope shining into the darkness. There's no easy answer. Wrestling with this takes a lot of prayer and wisdom, this reality of the human experience, but we are called to find hope on a tight rope. As we do weep, but look forward to the day when every tear shall be wiped away. Today's hymn that we chose to go along with the book of Revelations, one of my favorites, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. I love the lines that go prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. The author of the hymn is named Robert Robinson. He had a rough upbringing. His father died when he was quite young. He was a troublemaker and his mother sent him to London at the age of 17 to become a barber. He fell in with the wrong crowd developed a de- drinking problem joined a gang his life was not headed in a good direction one day he and his friends after a day of partying they went to go see a fortune teller while they were in with the fortune teller they were teasing and harassing the fortune teller and later they were he was quite troubled so he convinced his friends to go see the great george whitfield preach and so they went to listen to Whitfield preach and there as they were sitting in the audience, they began to sober up. <laughs> and there, Robert Robinson felt God's call on his life and he gave his life to Christ. It was transformed and several years later, he wrote that great hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And Robinson reminds us to find to be careful to find where we stand, that that is solid ground, that we find the tightrope, that we find ourselves looking at this beautiful vision that John has in Revelation 7, that wrestles with suffering, evil, despair itself, but does not give in to despair, but also is not Panglossian and overly optimistic, but finds the tightrope, of Christian hope where we can come together and comfort those who mourn because God has come to us in Jesus Christ. But we can also be hopeful for one another and for the world just as John was. Why? Because there's that great promise of hope that one day God will wipe every tear away. And so we go and live our lives in Christian witness to that great hope. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the great hope we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you. We pray that we might have the wisdom to know when to cry, when to come alongside, when to offer the word of hope. Lord, that we might know you walk beside us. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.